0: You should sing me hello every time.
1: I, I try to. Do I not? I guess I don't always. I don't always sing. It was me
0: especially hello. melodious this
1: morning. Oh, thank you. Is, that's that's a word that I like. That I I, I might not have used. Especially, uh, yeah. Uh, this morning. <laughs> I guess it's
0: cheaper. this morning jacket. That's a band, right? Mor-
1: yeah, my morning jacket. In fact, <laughs> whoa, whoa, Don. What? Like one of my one of the best, the greatest bands of all time. In fact. As you can hear in my voice, um, I, at one point, within the last five years, would have said that they are the best band in, in the world. The greatest. Like, whatever super, superlative I could use. They are they are amazing. <laughs> Do you know them? Have you checked them out? I You've mentioned them. You know who would like them? <laughs> <laughs> who would like them, Ben? Jack Gizayich. <laughs> I know Jack listens every once in a while, and he says that I, he... Um, does not like our taste in music or television shows. <laughs> so, uh, this is one that I think uh, I think you'd like.
0: Huh, okay. All All right. Well, um speak, speaking of uh television shows, um and shows that Jack might like, uh Kristen and I just watched a uh Stephen Fry documentary on um, um Op, the uh, Wagner Opera House in Bayreuth, Germany. Um, wow. So maybe Jack is a fan of uh, of German opera, and if so, uh, I I highly recommend the uh, the Stephen Fry documentary.
1: And Wagner, Wagner, Wagner. Hey, uh, you know, you told and, me, and oh.
0: Stephen talked about, yeah. I was going to say he, he was very conflicted because he's Jewish and, and of course Wagner is a long time association with the the Nazis and in fact Wagner apparently himself was a horrible anti semite um, but yet made this beautiful music that that moves uh, Stephen Fry literally to to tears in the documentary so an interesting uh, interesting uh, documentary I, I highly recommend it.
1: Huh. Um, you you gave me. Um, <laughs> A really interesting suggestion for a documentary a while ago called Jodorowsky's Dune. Oh, so good! It's really. I haven't finished it, mainly because it's. I've watched it on airplanes, and there are some, mm-hmm. there's some there's uh, some there's some nudity uh, in an art in an art kind of way, um, and it's one mm-hmm. of those things where on a one on an airplane a couple of times I'm like, oh my gosh, what what are, are people you watching? Get, you get embarrassed. Yeah, I do. I do. Like, are people watching so, art? Yeah. Are they? <laughs> Are they looking over my shoulder on what's going on here? So I've so like three or four times I've started, I, you know, I've continued on, um, and uh, I, I, I'm I, I I will finish it bit, uh, eventually. But it was it's really compelling, like it's a really interesting mm-hmm. um, documentary. And the so oh. also the version that I have does not have um, subtitles. So there's maybe oh. about ten percent of so far uh, of a of the dialogue that is that I don't I don't know exactly what's going on, but it's I, still I good. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Well, and, and at least at least you're not the guy on the airplane that's that is only watching the nudie scenes. <laughs> right,
1: right. I haven't fast forwarded. <laughs> that's yeah.
0: a that's yeah that's a different that's a different that's a different kind of problem. I was I was once sitting next to speaking of perverts on airplanes. I was sitting next <laughs> to a guy once that was reading like. Uh, like Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, bondage porn on an airplane, <laughs> and he kept trying to like sort of sh- shift his arm and block the screen, which is what drew my attention to what is he reading? What's... And then, and then I was when he was when he was paying less attention, I was able to figure it out. So anyway,
1: that's pretty funny.
0: Yeah, interesting, interesting times.
1: Um, I uh, I have not read that that book. Um, I'm trying to fix my mic. If you can hear me, like banging. Please. I can hear you fixing your mic. Oh man, it's almost I, so. My little mic holder is in my office, at, and I'm at home. And I have, I'm, I've got a setup that I'll text you in a second here if I can actually make it work. There you go. Got it. I got it. Oh, you won't hear anymore. Um, anyway, that, that, that Fifty Shades of Grey thing um, seems like it's a popular book. I've not read it. <laughs> that was what I thought. I have, not read, I was I have not
0: read it either. I have not read it either. And speaking of microphone stands, do you remember the saga of my microphone stand? I do. That I dragged to Brazil and then on a trip somewhere else, and then when I actually needed it, could not find it.
1: Yes. Is it in I, your I, luggage? I actually,
0: no, it wasn't in my luggage. That was your suggestion. That was my last suggestion. Time. I um, hope that was, which the was a Good suggestion. Um, I might have mentioned on a recent episode that I cleaned my office, and when I cleaned my office, I, I opened up a whole lot of extra storage space in my office. And stacked on top of some empty FedEx boxes and a few spurious cords, uh, like computer electronic cords, I found my microphone stand. And so, and of course, today I am recording from home where I have my boom mic stand all set up in my normal usual system with my um, yoga ball on the treadmill with, without the treadmill running, no yo-yos. Um, uh, but, uh, but I don't need that microphone stand, but now I have it setting out in the, the staging area for, to take to work, um, the next time I go to work. So I will have one stand at work and one stand at home. And I think once I get that set, I'm just going to leave everything where it is.
1: Oh, see, here's what that my, my flaw in my whole plan of having two microphones and two sets of headphones, um, was that the boom, I have a boom at home. I also have the, um, I don't know what it's called, but it's it's the thing that the microphone gets inserted to that, that then is threaded to the boom that's got all the, like, fun little um, uh, bungee cords on it to make it. So when, when something, you know, a truck goes by and it, the, the mic doesn't bounce, that piece, which is really important, is currently in my office because I only have one of them. And so I just transport that back and forth. <laughs>
0: well, that's at least very light and easily portable. Oh, yeah. also easily lost though I'm thinking.
1: yeah, I just need but I really just need another one because I've just texted hello? you the setup, and it's awful. Did I lose you? No, no, I'm here. I'm here. Hello. Hello oh, Hello.
0: Hello, Hey, I'm sorry, I me. I'm... It, it was you. I think it was me.
1: Good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that uh, that makes me uh, makes me feel a little bit better. It was, I think it was you because I could hear you.
0: Pain. Yeah, and I could I couldn't hear you. Um, and it turns out, uh, you know, one of the things I when I move my, my computer has a different um, internet configuration when it's at home and at the office. And when I'm at, if I don't flip the configuration, then I'm I was on Wi-Fi at home and. Um,
1: oh, and you weren't sitting close enough to your router.
0: I wasn't sitting close enough. To, I'm like literally not on top of, but in the room on top of my router. But then uh, once I realized what was going on, I quickly uh, switched over to Ethernet, and and now now it should be rock solid. So good. so good. I apologize for that. That's
1: okay. I you know I am good with that. I'm I'm such a easygoing guy that things like that don't bother me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad to hear that.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I, wait, you didn't say thank you. I don't know. Thank don't you. Know yes, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, Hey, so so I texted you this morning. Um, uh, I don't know about an hour and a half ago, saying that I was all fired up because I've been I, I made myself an espresso. I've got, mm. let me. That's so that was me faking drinking mm-hmm. espresso. I'm going to actually have some right now. Um, I have uh, I have invested uh, not not a lot of money, but a little bit of money into a Nespresso machine. Ah, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, I think it's changed my life. Like really? A, yeah, I think it's in the top ten things that have impacted my life ever. Hmm. Like between, um, you know, children, um, my wife, uh, hockey, mm-hmm. uh, the, this podcast, <laughs> and wow. uh, and Nespresso. I mean, that's 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 a in no in no particular order. It's up there. Um. Yeah. So I and and here's how I I've been I've been yearning for one of these for a while. Not, and, and, you know, like we've talked about Starbucks and, and how we both like certain things at, uh, at, at that, um, at that institution. And, and I drink a lot of lattes. I bought myself an, an espresso machine. I've not once made a latte. I'm just drinking straight up espresso shots or l- long long pour espressos, um, and uh, it's, it's taken over um, pretty much all of my, uh, my coffee-like uh, consumption. Um, but uh, here's, here's how I, So I've been, I've been looking for one of these machines or looking at purchasing one for a while. And um, a couple uh, weeks ago, my, uh, Danny was, was out for the day, and, and the boys and I were looking for things to do. So one of the things uh, that, uh, that Sam, like me, likes is to go to the mall. Um, cause we're, he and I are both mall rats and, uh, we went to the mall that's closest to us and William Sonoma was, uh, is going out of business in the mall. And so they had everything 50% off. So I purchased a, a two, well, and, and then everything like marked down and then 50% off, like it's lowest possible clearance price. So I, I purchased a $200, uh, Nespresso machine for $52. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's one of the, like one of the greatest purchases ever i feel I feel so full of caffeine, wow, vibrance
0: well, so you know the cup couple couple things so um i I also bought something that will help with the podcast, but it's going to be a surprise and so I'll, i i'll I'll, um, I'll explain it later, but nespresso is very popular um it's very popular in brazil i had i drank a lot so Brazilians drink a lot of coffee um there's a there's a lot of nespresso consumption going on, and there's also like knockoff, like Nespresso compatible pods. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, which are also very big. Um, and, um, and oh, and then in one of the the malls that I, I guess apparently I'm a mall rat. At least when I'm in Brazil. So one of the malls that I like to frequent, um, I was. I, and again, it's it's. It, I, I was very confused in Brazil. I had a hard time finding my way around places. And there was one mall where I was like looking for a coffee shop, and I walked into a Nespresso shop like that that's just sells the 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 hardware right they sell the pods and they right. sell the makers yeah like a um,
1: like a retail outlet for the Right. Yeah, yeah
0: and i'm like i i would like i would like a cup of coffee can i have a cup of coffee and the guy said well no um, we can't sell you a cup of coffee but if you'll stand over here, we will give you a cup of coffee.
1: <laughs> like, oh, great.
0: Like, because fantastic. that's the way these these stores work is that they give away coffee with the, you know, that you come in and you have a coffee and then you're like, oh, this is fantastic. I'm going to buy one of these. Um, so I had, a I I have had, but again, yeah, I've had my, my share of Nespresso while while in Brazil. Um, and I, I am not a Nespresso man. I have discovered I if I have a problem, it is with Starbucks Via. And I have been lately. Really? Starbucks yeah. Via. Yeah
1: like yeah. it's i think that's cuz of your boy scout background. Mm. I Starbucks via to me is not it's not my thing. Like there's some note in the taste that I've had you know from the whatever kind the um I've had five or six different ones cuz you know how they always give them out especially uh, promotion wise if they've got a new line of it and I'll take you know, three of their singles and I'll bring it home and I'll try it every once in a while. And it always, always tastes, tastes like Folgers to me.
0: Huh? I'm doing it well, wrong, that's, maybe. That's fascinating. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing, but <laughs> um, but I did. I, I'll, and also, so I, I'm, and again, I may have explained previous episodes of the podcast that oh, I don't have a coffee maker anymore um, because it was taking up too much counter space. So I only have Starbucks Via, which I, which I make... With, I have a variety of different drinks that I make. Uh, right now I make a one with just with, with milk that's pretty good, like 50% milk, 50% water, and then uh, and then Starbucks Via. Uh, around the holiday time when there was a lot of eggnog, I was making an eggnog version of that that was milk and eggnog and water, which is pretty good. Um, but my brother, and we've talked about this before on the podcast as well, my brother has an AeroPress, um, right. and I've thought about, which, which also would take up essentially zero counter space. But the problem with AeroPress is then you've got to invest in the beans and either you've got to have the beans ground, which is not good, or you have to buy a burr grinder. And then I was having a very good, interesting discussion with Kristen about... She's not really happy with her spice grinder, which is uh, which is which is essentially a, a it's the wrong kind of coffee grinder. I don't know much, how much you know about grinding coffee, but apparently, if you're I a coffee it. purist, yeah, if you're a coffee purist, you're supposed to use a burr grinder and not the blade grinder. And so, she has a, a thing that she uses for grinding spices. That's a blade grinder, not a burr grinder. But um, you know, it's not for use with coffee because that'll you know cause flavor defects in the spices. That basically they'll taste like taste like coffee if you you know double double use the device. So. I'm contemplating getting a burr grinder, but then of course we get a burr grinder. We're going to have to be able to and use it for spices. We're going to have to be able to clean it. So, you know, it's just, it quickly gets overwhelming. And so I think I'm just going to stick with the, the just via it. for now. Yeah. And, and I, I've just cut back on my walking to Starbucks to get coffee. And just because I have the treadmill desk, which again, we've talked oh, about before. So, right. So
1: you've, yeah. Cause that was your, that was your walk. That's where you're getting your stuff yeah. before now. You're and, not, oh, that makes sense. I'm,
0: yeah. So, so again, but, and also it's just, you know, As they, as they say, uh, freezing balls cold, uh, right now in New Jersey. So any excuse to not go outside, you know, I'm going to do that. So
1: that's a good, yeah, yeah, that's a good choice. Um, it it is, it is also, um, well, it's not really freezing balls cold, but it's, it's all relative. It's cold here. here. It's cold for North Carolina. It is cold for North Carolina. And one of my, um. One of my, uh, I guess, well, she's still my grad student, but almost soon to be former grad students, Ellen Thomas, who you've met um, and, and worked on uh, the, our burger, ordering hamburgers at uh, restaurants and seeing what the risk communication is like, that project. Um, she she just took a, a, a job at um, Kansas State University in a center that it's an FDA center that focuses on food safety, schools, food safety. Um, and I don't know what the name of it is, but I can, we'll link to it in show notes. Um, anyway, she uh, texted me yesterday and said, um, it's 70 degrees in, in Manhattan, Kansas. And I said, great. It's like 31 degrees here in the middle of the mid Atlantic where it's supposed to be 60 this time of year. Yeah.
0: My, my, um, my son lives in Denver and occasionally I look at what the weather is in Denver and they have apparently lovely winters there. (laughs) I mean wonderful snowing and, and cold in the mountains, but Denver itself, I guess because of the altitude, they don't get much snow. I don't quite understand yeah, it yeah. all. Who knows? But yeah. but but they, they are having a much nicer winter there in Denver than, than we are here in New Jersey.
1: Brutal. What winter sucks, Don. Winter yeah. sucks sucks balls.
0: <laughs> Can you say that?
1: I, I just did. Like uh, you like know why? Puns. Yeah, well, no. Like uh, you might. You, I'm sure you've been following, being the sports fan that you are, um, about Deflate Gate. Do you know about that? Oh, uh,
0: just uh, just enough to not quite mute it on Twitter. Yes.
1: <laughs> so it's that. It's about uh, it's about adjusting your football uh, bladders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah. So I got espresso. What else? I, there was some other. Oh, there's a here's here's a popular. It, it, uh, something i've saved for our conversation that i didn't text you about um are you watching the affair do you know about this show
0: uh, i am not
1: um so you need to watch it and the reason you need to watch it is mcnulty's in it oh yes and, and he's kind of like mcnulty except hmm. except he's like a dad with um three or four kids and and the i mean the the show it's a showtime show and and what Mm -hmm. it's about is he's um i well we don't know exactly we're only like four episodes into it but currently there's like a murder and he is developing an affair with somebody and he's not he's similar to mcnulty he's got a lot of character flaws (laughs) but but when i watch it i keep thinking oh it's just this is what mcnulty did after he retired from the forest (laughs) perfect and he look like he's you know, he's ten years older, mm-hmm. um, and he t- but he has the same Baltimore accent because well, <laughs> that's the accent he knows how to do. Right, right. It's 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 <laughs> fascinating. Oh, awesome. oh, very good. Uh, so check it out. And also, um, the guy uh, who was the police chief, eventually in the Wire, um, is his father in law. Hey, let me look up what his name is. Wire. Chief, chief something. He was the guy who was like the station guy. Oh, you know who I'm talking about.
0: No. I'm look I'm looking at the IMDB uh thing and
1: I can't uh I can't figure it out. I'm like in some uh, what's his name? Not Cedric, obviously. Uh he was the guy that really, like, right early on, hated McNulty. And
0: oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you put mean.
1: Him, and put him in, like, was like, "You're always pissing me off." Um, I don't know where I'm going to find it. Style, casting characters and um, this is why people tune in, Ben. Yeah, I know. Here, here let me. Anyway, um, that... okay, very good. Well, it's... yeah, check it out. Yeah, will do. Um, other show, and I think you've been tuned into this show right along, and I was at the start, but we've been watching a lot of Portlandia. Mm. Um, it's fantastic. It's, it is. It's hilarious. Like, and, and it's 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 different. i you know, I, I think we've our like probably two years ago we talked about it, and and now we're Danny and I have just like grabbed back onto it, and uh, and there's like enough episodes that we've got you know some viewing in our in our future. But those are the two things we're we're just you know we're we're binging well speaking speaking of Portlandia there is a show
0: that they have paired with Port, portlandia that's that's uh, I would highly recommend called Garfunkel and Oats. Have you heard of this show oh no. okay so garfunkel and oats uh it's uh Ricky Lindholm and kate uh Mucci. and and Kate Mucci you would know are you you watch the big Bang theory no at all uh okay. mm. I'll all Google right um, uh, uh, it's Garfunkel and Oates, uh it's a musical it's a comedy uh, duo and it is very Portlandia-ish in its humor and we've been enjoying it very much so so Gar- and Garfunkel and Oates highly recommend it
1: and it's on IFC so it's right yeah. okay. okay there Good. you go we'll check I'll check that out I'm um, yeah Garfunkel and Oates um uh, well speaking of Portlandia two things mm. <laughs> one we're going to Portland we are well, yeah, later, eventually, <laughs> oh. this summer, not right now. Oh, okay. I'm very oh. excited about Portland. Oh, me too. I, me too. Are, is your excitement about Portland somewhat fueled by Portlandia? <laughs> like, is that, uh, it looks in, like a cool place because it, of Portland. It more,
0: more, more, than a, more than a fractional percent. Yes. Yeah, I, I've I've been to Portland before. It's a lovely city. Actually, I, I am I am going to Portland um, in uh, February for the yeah. board meeting, um, and yeah, I'm very much looking forward to the to to the IAFP meeting in Portland. It's it is a wonderful city. I'm looking forward to spending a, a short time there in February and a, a much longer time or a longer time in the summer. So, yep, very much looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, I want to. I'm I'm looking forward to going um, as well. Um, and uh, and port. So the other thing I wanted to say about Portland is they had a really uh, good little spoof on raw milk. Um, oh yeah. Did you did you see it? It's pretty yes, it's pretty good. Yes, I did.
0: I did. Very good.
1: Um and people on the on the twitters um mm. thought it was pretty funny. Uh, I think there were some food safety people that I saw that were that were tweeting at Portlandia for um for promoting like the, the maybe just didn't pick up that it was satire.
0: Well, and you know, it it is really It was very well done. It was because it was clearly satire, but I really got the impression, and maybe I'm reading it too carefully, I really got the impression that they were making fun of both sides. Yes. Right? They were making fun of the raw milky folks, I shouldn't the raw milk proponents who are who are saying that it fixes everything that's wrong with you. But they were also making fun of the hyper-regulatory types, saying this stuff is as dangerous as you know drugs, and and they had this this chase <laughs> this chase scene where the cops are chasing uh uh you know the two main characters, and so I really I really thought it was well done because first I was like oh they're making fun of the raw milk people oh they're making fun of the FDA oh oh they're making fun of everybody well that's that's very well done
1: yeah uh, that's that's exactly the way that I thought and that that part of why I've got been drawn back into Portlandia is because of that. I was like, that's just really clever, clever writing. It's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah, it's satire. It, it, I I mean, it's like the daily show does a little bit of that, um, a, a, as well, where, where they, they point out something that seems to get something that's pop popular and then do satire on both sides of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like, right. it. I like it. Right. Um, Hey, so, uh, so we could talk about food safety stuff if you wanted, unless
0: you, well, want- we're kind of edging towards it with the I wrong milk discussion. So.
1: It's true. It's true. Um, I would like to talk to you about like, just, and this is a quick one. Mm. Um, it's about sprouts mm. and, um, it, there's, there's two things. So, so we just, uh, uh earlier this week in, in January, the final, uh, outbreak update, uh, from CDC came out from, a. Um, salmonella enteritidis outbreak uh, that was linked to um uh, wonton food food company and uh the the outbreak started gosh back in in the fall there was 115 people sick it was you know, it was kind of a, a a big deal um that you know was one of we've we, we so we kind of keep this running tally on barf blog of Of outbreaks that are linked to specific things so we've counted 61 outbreaks associated with raw sprouts since like 1995 um which is i mean sizable and we've you and i have talked a ton about sprouts i don't want to bang on sprouts but i do want to ask you a question that came to me through ashley chaffetz um who works with uh works for me and is doing some some research on food pantries and she's she looks at policy stuff and she's really got you know, she has an interesting take on some food safety things. She sent me a couple of recipes that that she's seen in the last little while around seared mung bean sprouts. And her question to me was, is that is that effective risk reduction? You know, does searing a mung bean sprout if if I had some contamination internally, does it what what is it gonna do? And I kind of thought, well, searing's like I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it what it means, but it, it brings this Problem. I guess this it highlights the problem around some of those larger sprouts. Not not your radish sprouts and your thin sprouts, but the larger fat sprouts that may have some protection on the inside from heat penetration, but also aren't big enough for you to stick a tip sensitive thermometer in there. What, like what what what's your take on if I really want to eat sprouts and I need to cook them? What does it mean like like how do I how do I cook it?
0: Well, I, I guess what I would say in the absence of any uh, scientific information, and we can come back and and talk about how one, one would get that information. But in the absence of information, uh, I would say you need to overcook them, right? You need yeah. to, um, you know, put cook them in a wok where the heat is going to be very high. You need to cover them uh, in, a, in a, and trap the steam, so it's a, it's a wet heat. Environment and get them get them really hot. Um, now, <clears throat> if I was going to design some experiments to try to figure out how to how to deal with that, I guess what I would do is I would start with uh, you know some seeds that are contaminated. Right, um, a natural contamination is better than artificial, but but cer- certainly put some some you know salmonella on on some or E. coli on some seeds. And then sprout those seeds to make sprouts, and then take those contaminated sprouts and cook them. you know when we talk about with cooking foods it's you know, it 's like the the recipes that talk about well, cook the burger for two minutes and then turn it over right. you know as being not very good recipes because you really want to you know tip sensitive digital thermometer to measure the middle of the burger et cetera but with with sprouts that 's not going to work, so you're, you really are reduced to these kind of time and temperature practices where you you know cook on high heat for so many minutes um now i suppose i suppose you could if you had some yeah the problem is there's so many variables right because right. it's the volume of sprouts it's the configuration of the pan it's the the temperature it, of 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 the the flame or the heat source, etc. Uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So it becomes it becomes very complicated to give people science based recommendations.
1: And, and you know, the, I think the one of the other complications with with sprouts, like mung, mung bean sprouts especially, it's the uniformity of the size of those sprouts because the thickness probably matters. And and as you mentioned, the the heat source, but also the the cooking um, environment, whether it's uh, whether it's water whether it's oil whether it's some direct what you know whatever and this one i just sent you a, a recipe that started this conversation mm-hmm. with Ashley and i mm-hmm. that's from pa- bon appetit bon-, bon appetit i believe it is um if you're french um and i am from because i'm from canada um and it's it's charred um mm-hmm. not not swiss chard but charred um sprouts and uh and it's um in in oil. So you've got heat oil in a medium skillet over medium high heat, add a cup of bean sprouts and cook undisturbed until charred for about three minutes.
0: Yeah. And I would say if they're charred, probably they're safe, but, but again, yeah. again how we don't really know. Right. I and mean, if I had, if I had to bet, I bet they were, I bet
1: they you got a six log reduction
0: for salmonella or E. Coli, but again, it's, it's problematic.
1: It's, it's really, I mean, it's an interesting question. I just thought it was cool that, that Ashley is looking at it, this way and sent you know sent me this this message of so what do you think about this does charring what what kind of log reduction would you get from charring it's like i don't you know i don't know and i don't know i don't think anybody knows but i i agree with you i look like, it it seems like it it would be um it, it would be fine it, it would be risk reduced without but, a doubt yeah
0: <clears throat> Without a doubt, um, and I think also another very interesting thing about this recipe is that it's from Pete Serpico of Serpico, Pennsylvania.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: right, right. It's which is which is which is I I I you know I would like to live in a place named after me. I suppose, uh, or maybe that's a typo.
1: Well, it could be, <laughs> and want... if it's a typo, I don't trust the rest of the recipe. What you know? What it could be. <laughs> It could be Pete, Pete Serpico, chef of Serpico Restaurants in Philadelphia.
0: Ah, uh, oh, you know what? That's probably what it is.
1: But uh, but who knows? Who knows for sure?
0: Um, oh, for Serpico in Philadelphia. Yes, Philadelphia, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But it, yes. be, it also could yeah, be. No, in you're, I'm, 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 mis- I'm. misreading it. So uh, anyway. Um. But but yeah. Good. It's a. It's a good. It's a good. Uh, it's a good conversation.
1: Yeah. It's it's a good conversation, and it it leads to to something else that we've been working on. Um, so back, back in the summer, I asked you for some input, Michelle, for some input on a little project on, um, evaluating the safety of baking cookies in a, in a, um, car. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you remember that? Yes, yeah. I do. And so, so we've actually spent most of the last two days working on this paper and, um, and after, and, uh, and our good friend who now listens to the podcast, Linda Harris, was was here visiting me last week, and and she gave uh, a fantastic talk on um, sort of advances and what what her research program and, and extension work is doing right now with regards to um, tree nuts and with this focus on pistachios and and she she's got um, such a and, and I know some of the stuff that you you two have worked on together and Michelle's, Michelle Michelle Danilak has worked with her on um, really this this nice. Um, i don't know collection of how pathogens act and how they're destructed in low moisture foods especially nut based foods and and it got me thinking about these these cookies and and so much that that the way that we are approaching evaluating the safety i we we've got to go back and and sort of look at at some of the stuff that that she's been doing because so so this is, you know, here, here's here's where this all, I guess, comes together. We've got this question. We don't have data that shows anything about charred mung bean sprouts. And I got asked a question earlier this year about the safety of uh, of cooking, baking cookies. And what would the – if someone was to, to push the limits, I guess, like and not um, look for an endpoint temperature um, that was – uh, it, the cookie hadn't set, but they were trying it. Could they still eat the cookie? Is it all risk-reduced, all that kind of stuff? So we we threw some data loggers in and, and started looking at um, what the temperature profile of those, of those cookies are. And then our, our thoughts initially, I guess, were to say, okay, well, the recommended endpoint temperature that's out there for these that USDA and FDA has um, is is to bake it to 160 degrees and measure it. But really, we all know, we being you, know, you and I and, and the rest of the food safety world, is that pathogen destructions not based on just one endpoint temperature it's a time temperature combination so we kind of started looking at okay well and, and since we had this this data logger profile it's like well what is the time temperature um combination and we started looking at um fsis uh, usd fsis appendix a and for log reductions and trying to match that up and you know constructing these charts that basically says okay if you hit, hit this is how long it took us to get to a certain temperature. Um, and yes, the cookies within an hour uh, reach this—you know, 135 degrees for, um, you know, for 65 minutes or whatever, whatever it is. But as we were talking through this data, it's not the same as meat, right? Like it's a, it really is. The water activity of, of cookie dough is like 0. 0.8. It's a low moisture food, and so we've now kind of gone back to what you know if there's stressed stressed cells, salmonella obviously, but also Linda's got some really great data on um on e coli and Listeria if those are, are stressed from drying, and now we're trying to bake them in a low water activity um environment um maybe those those f s i s numbers aren't aren't right like they we may have to do something different to make you know to to make that Decision. Anyway, it's, it's, but it's, I guess it's not as simple in this case as, okay, it got to 160. It's someone wants to know, can I actually do this for less amount of time and still have a a safe, you know, science based product?
0: Yeah. And you raise, you raise all the right concerns. I had, I, I did a little bit of thinking about this because I was contacted by, a big food company that bakes a lot of bread and they were interested in validating the safety of their bread baking processes, right? I, I guess thinking about maybe the upcoming Food Safety Modernization Act rules and, and things like that and and thinking about, well, okay, so what would be involved in validating a a commercial bread baking operation and thinking about well it 's exactly that right it's it 's this this uh, probably low moisture environment. the water activity is actually changing the the temperature profile in the dough is changing uh, such that things that are at a hotter temperature are probably lower water activity think, you know right so I right, uh, right. think about the crust of the dough versus the inside of the dough, and all of that is changing and you know and again there were personnel changes at the company and and you know and it's it's like working with a lot of big companies this is this is sort of a nice to do thing it's not an immediate crisis so i think things you know validation of things like this tend to fall by the wayside but but it's a fascinating food safety problem and you know you know and again let's let's look at bread baking well i you know i don't know of any Outbreaks associated with bread, except for one where which was a California bakery, which I think we've talked about before on the podcast, where it was a worker handling the bread that came out of the oven and it was a typhoid mary situation right. it was a worker that had that was infected with asymptomatic infection with salmonella who was touching the outside of the bread and spreading the contamination in that way. but we know that flour is contaminated with E. coli, you know, pathogenic E. coli. There was a very famous uh, cookie dough outbreak uh, linked to that. We also know from survey work that, Flour is regularly contaminated with low levels of salmonella. No surprise there. And obviously, most baking processes, most of the time, um, you know, with where most means you know ninety nine point nine nine. Add as many nines as you like. Um, uh, is it? It's it's going to eliminate the, the the risk to you know to some level where it doesn't show up on our food safety radar, but. There is a risk there, and how do you again? It comes back. It's it really is exactly very similar to the situation with the bean sprouts. How do you how do you validate um, a recipe? Whether whether it's a, a cookie recipe in your home, where you're, you're baking them in the car, whether whether it's a marinated tofu with peanuts and charred bean sprouts, or whether you are a multinational bakery that's trying to validate the safety of your cooking process. These are really hard questions.
1: Right, and. And we've seen that play out already with the uh, Wawona uh, peach situation, right? Uh, last summer, the listeria recall that um, you know some folks you know, there's been rumors that there might have been some illnesses linked to linked to it, but nothing's been sort of fully reported about it. But you have one retailer, Wegmans, who who does you know we've we've talked a lot about their uh, focus on food safety and and their their um, very involved and engaged in in the food safety professional world, made a decision to recall these baked, um, you know, peach pastries that they use that product for, because I, you know, my, my guess is they didn't have a validation, although it should be like, it all seems like it should be fine. They just didn't have data on it. And what rather than be at the source of a potential problem that they, that, that they, you know, they the you know, theoretically shouldn't, shouldn't have happened. Um, you know, they, they made this risk management decision to, to recall it, um, because they just didn't have, have the data. I, I think that this validation, the, what, what you just talked about with bakeries, I think that is really going to be, um, a, a, a big challenge, not just for the, um, the industry, the small and medium sized firms, the large firms who haven't really, um, focused on that too much in the past for certain products that have just always been, you know, always achieved a certain water temperature or um, uh, water activity in, in pH, and pH. And we haven't looked at other, um, uh, you know, kill step issues, especially when it comes to some of these pathogens that'll do all right in a dry environment and persist. But I, but I also think it's going to be a big challenge for the regulators, Who are who are asked? So someone says, "Okay, here's my validated, um, here's my validated process, or my validated preventive control." And now the uh, a a regulator is who who has not really been asked to to evaluate um, validated controls is now going to be forced to look at a couple hundred of these and make a decision on whether that validation is suitable and and you know kudos to a company coming to to someone like you who who would do a very good job at something like this but um it's not i mean there's there's not a a don Schaffner or a fletcher arid or a linda harris um in the you know all over the the country that Um, that every firm who's going to be required to do a validated prevent control is is going to be able to access. And and who knows what, what happens? I mean, we may, we may, we may find that there, that in the first few years of this, um, from a compliance standpoint, that that, that step becomes very poorly done, I guess, or, or we'll find that there's a lot out of compliance, but we may not see, like, we haven't seen illnesses from it, right? Like, it's the i don't know this that validation thing is 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 fascinating to me on where, where that's all going to play out
0: yeah, and we we 've seen it play out before with people that that bought uh, peanut butter paste from right. peanut, peanut corporation of america and again and and yeah and, and Wegman's you know made the conservative risk management decision to say, well. Look, we can't validate this process. We used ingredients that were potentially contaminated it's It's a decision that nobody wants to make, but that's the decision they make and that's uh yeah i and it it'll be very interesting to see how FISma rolls out uh to see what Uh, standard of proof the agency asks for, Um, you know, we're, we're already starting to see it with the reportable food registry, you know, where, where someone, you know, where there is suddenly knowledge that there is a, a contaminated ingredient out there in the marketplace. Often we don't know the, the level of, I mean, so there's so much we don't know, right? We know, oh, someone found a positive you know, just yes or no to a pathogen in this ingredient. Okay, well, so what was the concentration, right? Um, what was the, what's the effectiveness of the process, and then what is the risk management standard, the regulatory standard that says that you have to achieve this? And we don't know any of those things, so it's like it's like three equations and 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 three unknowns and you you know you can't you can't solve for that or or at least uh you know maybe I'm getting the algebra wrong but but there's too many there's too many unknowns and you can't you can't you can't come up with an answer to the question because you have to know you know at least two of those to be able to figure out whether the third one is is right. what it should be so it, it become it becomes very very complicated very quickly um and again it's not like we can just you know the risks of of not eating still outweigh the risks of eating it's not like we can just say oh well okay just we'll just dump all that food well no we we can't because it's probably safe most of the time and people aren't getting don't seem to be getting sick all the time so how do you how do you navigate a pathway in all of that uncertainty and it's 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 just it's very difficult
1: it, yeah it really is and it's um i yeah, and the sheer—I guess the the sheer number of it is is going to be staggering. I think, um, and I don't know. Maybe you—you know, you were around for the for the HACCP, um implementation in meat, although it's not something that that you kind of focused on. But maybe maybe the same kind of thoughts happened in in ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven as as that regulation was becoming implemented, and then and it's all worked out, right? Like it it, it it's. It, it's. I mean, I think there's a different scale, but there's also a different amount of people working on it and, and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not sure the industry would agree with you that it all worked out, right? I mean, <laughs> right. The, the, regulation, the regulation yeah. happened. Um, there were a lot of... I was getting a lot of calls from a lot of panicked small meat companies saying, what is hey SIP?" And it's like, well, okay, you, you have less than 30 days to implement this thing and you don't even know what it is or how to say it. Yeah. Um, you know, so you know. I'm sorry, you're kind of screwed. Um I'll help you as much as I can, but you know, and 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 then even today, you know, there are people in the meat industry who will rail against that. You know, there's no there's no kill step, and the consumers need to handle it, and you know, we're doing the best that we can, and and so. I, I it's, yeah, I think I think you know what's going to happen is that that it's going to go forward, and people are going to continue to make food, and people are going to continue to eat food, and people are going to continue to get sick, unfortunately. Um, but hopefully, we'll get better over time, right? That that hopefully, what will happen is that that more companies will have better food safety programs, less people will get sick, the quality of the discussion will increase, the level of science will increase, um, people will do relevant research that actually advances you know our knowledge of food safety um so hopefully it will all get better but again it's i think chasing you know it chasing zero risk is is always going to end in a disappointing place what you have to say is what am i doing what am i doing today how am i managing better today than than tomorrow and and how can i you know keep my eye on the ball and, and keep and keep moving forward so it's it anyway it's going to be interesting times
1: yeah it is it's um that, that focus, you, you mentioned the reportable, um, you know, food registry um, situation, that, you know, the, the rules, the in, in increase in that. And then also um, CDC looking uh, and working really closely with FDA and, and USDA on whole genome sequencing of pathogens and, and being able to share that, that data that someone's picking up in active surveillance um, and, and passive surveillance and, and comparing that up to what's in, um, in PulseNet is, is all going to, you know, we're, we're going to see, I, I, this is, this is my prediction. We're going to, we're going to have businesses that are going to recall stuff because they're going to have, because of validation issues. And then when, um, these, these, um, when the investigators go in and and do their um you know fill out their 483s and do do their swabbing we're going to see some some bugs especially things like salmonella and listeria that might have been in some of these plants for a long time and have been linked to illnesses over you know months and years and it's kind of like we're, the the more focused we may be able to um to solve some of these these issues i mean we um i don't think we talked about this but um the uh, nut butter outbreak that, that happened last year in the fall, and it was a salmonella branderup up um, outbreak being that sort of, we've got a sample that's got this profile. Let's go match it up with PulseNet and see how many illnesses there are. Okay, lots of people, well, not lots, six people got sick um, over a five-month period. Let's go recall the products because there might be some more out there. I think we're at an interesting time on how, the, how much public scrutiny the industry is going to have because of all these things coming together?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. And you know, the, uh, when we were doing our usual um, show preparation, um, there were a couple a couple of things that, that I threw in um, to kind of put this to to, to that, that frames the exact same kind of question in a very interesting way, in a way not related to food safety. And and I know we are, as we have discussed, both publicly and privately, we are horrendously behind um, on posting episodes. And so this is going to once again, date us as to where <laughs> we are, but we just had um, in, in New Jersey, we just didn't really have a very bad blizzard. Right. And so I put a couple things in the show notes to discuss, including one, uh, one uh, um, uh, web page, which, is, which has the, the, uh, the title soul searching at weather service after botched New Jersey blizzard forecast. And I think, you know, not because I, I mean, I, I do like talking about the weather, and I think the weather is, is very interesting um, because apparently the older I get, the more I'm turning into my father. Right, but, so we
1: but, could talk um, about uh, gas prices too if you yeah, like to.
0: But. But here, but here's the thing. We have, you know, there, just, just like food safety, there are models for predicting the weather. In fact, we've had weather forecasting models much longer than we've had food safety, um, you know, pathogen predicting models. Um, and what happened is that there, you know, to put to, to, on a very simple level, there, there were competing computer model predictions. And the, the model that a lot of the forecasters ended up going with was a, mo- a model developed in Europe that is, was actually um, shown to be much more act, Accurate generally and predicted super storm, super storm Sandy you know in spectacular fashion, um, but the the U.S. developed model was in fact you know sort of had fallen out of favor. Well, it turns out that that model actually nailed what the the actual uh, amount of snow we got in New Jersey was. Like the no no question about it, it was going to be a bad blizzard. It was going to disrupt things on the you know in, in the Northeast. But instead of getting three feet of snow in New Jersey, we got half a foot. And, and so, what happened there? Well, it turns out that you know prediction is very difficult, especially about the future and And you know the weather service got this wrong but and and, there, and again, there's consequences, just like in food safety, there's consequences to underreacting and overreacting right and so the consequence here was that essentially the state shut down. For a blizzard that ended up, you know, it was definitely bad, and, and definitely I wasn't going to go to work if I had six feet of six six inches of snow to clear. Um, but it was not nearly as bad as if it, if it had been three feet. And so people were making decisions based on models and based on predictions about what was happening, um, which turned out to not be true. And so they they overreacted to what they sure they reacted properly to what the models said, but the models in turn were were very um, were very fail-safe. And so we have the same thing with respect to food safety. We are constantly making decisions, essentially based on models, or based on opinions, or based on data. And you know, we never—at least in in this case—we got. You know, eventually, you can take a a measuring stick, you know, a ruler or a yardstick, and go out and stick it in the snow and figure out. Okay, well, we thought that this was going to happen. Turns out, this is what happened. In food safety, it's even more complicated because these are microorganisms we're measuring and illnesses we're measuring, and we can't—we can't just take a yardstick out and say, "Oh, well, you know, 100 people got sick." And we know it 's exactly one hundred people in this town and right. exactly two hundred people in that town no so so it 's e- in, in some ways it 's even more difficult in some ways it 's easier you know and and certainly the models in in weather forecasting are much more complicated but but the endpoints in food safety are are much less easy to measure so Again, I just thought that was you know anytime anytime there's something going on in the news that relates to you know people making decisions and and government policy and and impacting businesses and families et cetera you know i 'm just making the food safety analogy in my mind and it just it just seemed to me like the everything that played out during that uh during that the, the blizzard you know the the snowstorm and and the reaction to it just it it informs the way we think about food safety and i I just wanted to share that
1: yeah and and it, I, I agree with you it informs. Um, how we look at risk in, in general, you know, we, we would look at this, this risk equation of, okay, well, we have this hazard um, that exists and what's the probability it's going to happen? What's the consequence? And the consequence, like, like you just sort of characterized um, is it, the consequence of six inches versus three feet. It's a different, it's a different level of, of response. Um, but we have the same challenges. In fact, there's a really good quote in here um, from, you know, a, a weather uh, specialist who's who's kind of talking about modeling and, and risks. And he says, if you, you know, he make some comparisons to food. He says, if you tell a mother that a food item has a 0.0001% chance of affecting someone's health, I suspect they wouldn't feed it to their child. But then you have similar situations with things like air quality, where you're talking about particles per million and adverse health effects, and people aren't inclined to act. And so there's... Um, you know in his quote is there sometimes from a risk standpoint that we're we're very risk intolerant um and being able to translate that being able to um to know how someone internalizes that risk and whether they how they value the consequence difference between six inches, which they may see once or twice a year already, versus three feet, which is like once in a lifetime type storm um, or, or output consequence, uh, really changes how risk risk managers are, are going to have to respond. I mean, a lot of this stuff, it's like Wegmans, right? Like a lot of this stuff is it, it, science is doing the informing, but the policy that someone takes or the actions that someone takes really always boils down to how intolerant are you of the risk or how tolerant are you of the risk? And, and what that, that's not a, I mean, you, you've, you've said this, um, multiple times in, in dealing with, um, you know, with companies that ask you questions where they say, What's the risk and what should I do? I can tell you what the calculated risk is based on here's the data and here are the assumptions that we have. But it's really up to you to figure out what your tolerance is for that risk um, based on the probabilities. And, 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 and it, the weather's a really interesting one because, because of Hurricane uh, or Superstorm Sandy and because of hurricanes. And, and we, we saw it in, in Raleigh last year. Um, with regards to, to snow, um, they're, they're, they become catastrophic events that, or maybe not ca- catastrophic, but they become notable events that people have memory for. And that memory is almost always going to influence the policy decision or the risk management decision. Because either they got it wrong last time, or they got it right, or they got it wrong. And when they got it wrong, it was either just just like this, they were too cautious or not cautious enough. And even though the data may say all the same stuff, it's, it's what has happened in the past and how, how it was reacted. I, you know, I appreciate you putting this in there there. and when I read it this morning, I was like, man, this is, it's very much, I mean, just, just, you know, um, substitute weather for a pathogen. And we're talking the exact same language.
0: Well, and, and this guy, uh, Zatzkowski, who's the meteorologist at the National Weather Service in, in Mount Holly, you know, which is essentially the the group that, that I get, that we get our weather information from, um, I, I think it's fascinating that he made a food analogy. I think it's fascinating that he he clearly, this is a guy that thinks in orders of magnitude, right, just the way we think. Um, and it's also a guy, and again, this, to bring it back to, to risk communication, this is a guy, That screwed up, right? He knows that he made a bad call and he's owning it. And, you know, the other thing that really pissed me off about all of this is all of this – and again, part of it is this social media culture and, you know, like, oh, what are we going to be outraged about on Twitter today – and I, and I was because I was home and, I, you know, I, and I've explained my, my Twitter strategy before. Either I ignore it or I immerse myself in it. And it really – it's just like all these people are like, well, we should be mad at the politicians. No, we shouldn't be mad at the politicians. We should be mad at the weather forecasters. And I thought yeah. – I was mulling over in my mind what the tweet would be. No, that you idiots. You ought to be mad at yourself for being illiterate, right, yeah. for being innumerate or, if, or, and not in, – Right, not understanding numbers and risk and calculations because it's all guesswork. And you ought and you thank. And I again, I had this conversation with uh, with Christian just the other day. Thank God that it was an overreaction and not an underreaction. Like what, what what do you what do you care that you got you got six inches instead of three feet of snow? There was a bad storm, and my God, the people on Nantucket Island. I don't. I still don't know if they have power. Boston got you know, buried in snow and you got six inches in New Jersey and you want to know who to be outraged at. I mean, yeah. that's, it just makes me angry.
1: The the limitations of the model, <laughs> right? Well, like, yeah. Not, not to be outraged, but, but um yeah. Um, understanding the limitations of the models yeah, and, and yeah. saying these are, these are, these are not, these are predictions. It's right there in the word, right? right. It's not right. a, uh, it's not, this is a for sure thing that's going to happen. Um
0: Yeah. Well, and and, is, you know, Twitter is good for, you know, people getting outraged for whatever reason. And and in fact, (laughs) in fact, uh, again, just like, uh, Zatskowski uh, owned his uh, owned his own uh, uh, bad decision. I'll own my own outrage, and I want to I want to segue around to uh, a, a conversation on Twitter from a couple of days ago, um, which starts with a post from the New Yorker magazine that I love, um, and and the post uh, post reads as follows: uh, Bill Marler, the most powerful food safety attorney in the country, may be all that stands between you and salmonella, and then there's a link to a uh, New Yorker article and my my response to the New Yorker which did not get a response um was uh, oh please bill marler is great but come on that's just inflammatory bs and i but i didn't i didn't say bs in the tweet yeah <laughs> I got, right i got her I got a response immediately back from Bill saying, uh, nice tweet, Dr. Don. So um, obviously he's <laughs> he's trying to mollify me, I think, by referring to me using my title. Right. Um, and then and then I see this tweet and I'm just responding to it. And then my phone starts to ring and I look at it and it's a Seattle area code. And I'm <laughs> like, holy crap. Um, and then the next tweet from bill uh uh the uh, the most powerful food safety attorney in the country apparently um uh says i just left you a voice message and then and then i did call him and we had a nice chat um but and and again his final tweet in the conversation is as always great talking to you i agree the more complex than than me being Superman, superman right and and Bill gets it, right? Um, and but again, Bill is, you know, as with all of us, is not above some good press. And I'm sure that he was happy for the New Yorker article and, and he's featured in the article in a popular light. And and that's fine. I've I've no problem with that. But and again, you know, 140 characters, there's some limits to what you can express, but Really, Bill Marler is all that stands between me and salmonella. No, I'm I'm pretty sure there's a few other people that are trying to do the right thing out there, you know. And so, but again, that that is not a tweet that is going to encourage people to click on the links, right? It's gonna, That's a tweet that's gonna, you know, you know, a, a nuanced, careful. Sh- shades of gray not not the not the not the book uh shades of gray tweet that talks about nuances well first of all might not be even possible during in 140 characters but if your objective is to drive clicks to your article you know you're not going to you're not going to send a, a, a nuanced careful tweet
1: right it's it's uh, it's um betteridge's laws right? <laughs> yes yes it it's, it really should be is Bill Marler the most powerful food safety attorney in the country? Or no? Th- all that stands between you and salmonella. No. Right. But, right. And, and I Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The first tweet. The first tweet back from Edward Teach was was good. The, his response. I don't know if you saw this. Was probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm perfect. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Like yeah. That's right. Probably not. And, exactly. And, right. and you know you can't you can't fault fault Marler. It's not like he wrote the the tweet or the headline. Right. Um, and and so like you said i think he 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 does a good job at taking taking a lot of that in in stride um as well although he did um it was it's it's a pretty fascinating um piece that we'll that we'll link to in the in the show notes and there's um a a good spot and let me pull it up here from from atchison um mm-hmm. you know former f, head of uh f d a food safety czar david atchison um and he says um Uh, Let me – I'll read the the passage. You know, uh, he challenges – this is Atchison um, talking – he challenges the food industry to put me out of business. Um, That's just become a bit of a trademark. He doesn't really want that. Still, Atchison told me that he's seen an evolution in Marler. In his early days, uh, Bill was just on a mission to sue large food companies. He was on a mission to make money. But I think during the course – of that, he realized there are problems with the food safety system, and I think progressively, philosophically, he changed from just being a plaintiff attorney to being someone who believes in changing, the food, in changing food safety for the betterment of public health is the audible goal. Um, and then, uh, you know, the New Yorker's got some great, some great uh, authors and good writers who say um, At- Atchison added with no small measure of distaste. He still f- sues food companies. And, <laughs> and and Bill's response, which is which is pure pure Marler and and a good response was um, and this is I, I saw this on Marler blog. He said I think I think David Atchison needs a hug. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. oh
0: yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, and, and again, David, David plays the game too, right? I mean, yep. again, a huge, huge amount of respect for David, but he is a consultant who works for the food industry and makes a very good living at doing that. Right. So, um, you know, it, I'm, I, I I would disagree. I mean, whether I mean, it does make a great soundbite yeah. that 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 Marler has put me out of business. Um, but I think I think Atchison's being a little cynical here. Oh, for and, sure. Yeah. You know. And and honestly, I mean, if 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 food businesses stop making people sick and stop having food safety problems, then Atchison would be out of a job too, <laughs> right? Uh, yep. Cause he's, cause he's a consultant. That's who he works for. And again, great respect for David and wonderful guy. And would love to have him as a guest on the podcast, but you know, it's, I, I don't know. It's again, it, a lot of it seems to really be kind of posturing and, and, and all of that. Um, and, and, you know, trying to, ha- and again, it's, you know, y- we know, we've talked about this before that we talk, we talk to reporters for 15 minutes or half an hour and they use one quote, which they mostly get right, kind of out of context, and, and make it to be inflammatory. So,
1: right. And, and the discourse is important. Right, I mean, the having conflict in that story is, is a good thing. Like not just for the New Yorker and selling, um, you know, click baiting or bait clicking or whatever it is and mm-hmm. getting people to their, to their website and selling magazines. But I, I do, I do think, you know, I've, I've known Bill for, for, I don't know, 15 years or so. And and he his move into becoming more of a public figure around food safety as opposed to a food safety lawyer and someone for you know who's who thought uh, who who is interested in change I think came and and this is not me talking to Marlar about it but just seeing it over the last little while it's a smart move for him and it came maybe largely from some of the negative comments. Was you know if he if he really wanted to be part of of our little world of food safety, um, he he he's he's changed some of his focus and he's put some of his his you know literally put some of his money where his mouth is, um, and and funded projects and puts himself out there and, and sure that's good for, for advertising for him, but um, but it's also it's all there also has been a shift over time. Um, for him and it's, be, you know, I think, I think it's because of this discourse. I think that's, this is all, this is all important. And, you know, I think that's where, um, where our good friend, friend, Doug serves a, an important part of this. So there's, there's a lot of, um, backslapping and, and high fiving in a lot of the food safety stuff that's out there. And that's not, not ever been Doug's thing. And, and sometimes maybe there's some impact from it. And so, that, so conflicts, conflict makes people uncomfortable, but I think it's absolutely necessary for us to move anything along.
0: Yeah. And, and, and while we're talking about people who, you know, maybe who are, are strong personalities in, in food safety, um, Caroline Smith DeWall is another one, right. Who, yeah. who has, I think really started off being sort of a one note. Um, and again, she's a, a, works for CSPI. She's a lawyer, ended up, moving from sort of a one note agenda to understanding the nuance and working with people. And again, uh, people don't like her. Some people don't like her, but, uh, I have a huge amount of respect for her. She has a point of view. She has an agenda, but, uh, you know, but again, she she is moving things forward in her own way, in her own style, just like any of us would would do. So um, anyway, so I just uh, you know just wanted to, to to mention her as well, just because uh, you know she's just just done done a good job in terms of food safety. So
1: yeah, and it's it's important to have lots of different views on these things, um, or, or we or we'll get stagnant.
0: Well, and I think also we need to realize that, you know, we need to personally, I mean, I've had colleagues say, well, I talked to the news media once and they misquoted me, so I'm never going to talk to them again. And I I think that's not it's not a viable strategy if you want to make a difference. And and, and so I want to talk a little bit about. Um, Actually, a referral that came my way from Linda Harris, who now we can say listens to the show, um, who suggested that a a reporter from Mother Jones who was doing a a story on which cut of meat is least likely to make you sick – Uh, Again, another example of where a reporter called, I talked to her for, you know, 15 minutes or a half an hour, and I got one quote, um, you know, which admittedly is the the top tip in the article, Um, there is no such thing as free, risk-free meat, or risk-free food in general, notes uh, Don Schaffner, if the food isn't cooked sufficiently, or if the preparation area isn't clean, it doesn't matter whether you're eating chicken, steak, or pork, food prepared in an unclean environment is always going to be high risk. And so I'm glad.
1: Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there there's a yeah exactly nicely done that was a virtual high five to you yeah. um and and so i'm glad of that but
0: but on the other hand um you know uh, uh I, I think uh you know it, it unfortunately there's a lot of nuance that that got lost um and again, Doug Doug wrote a barf blog post, which which where he he said he liked my response, and and again he uh, he did uh, get get you know give some quotes that got used later in the story. And we when he and I were talking about it, I shared my frustration that you know I had so much to say, and and she only used one one sentence. And he said, yeah, basically the same thing happened to me. And I talked to her for a long time, and and only only one little bit got used. But does that mean that we're gonna stop? Uh, you know, talking to newspaper reporters. I know I'm not, I'm sure Doug is not either. So, and I'm I'm sure the same thing, the same thing, you feel the same way.
1: Absolutely. And and because if you hadn't spent all that time with her, you wouldn't have got anything in there. Exactly. In in your message, you know, even though you had lots of other things to say, the part that she picked up didn't, wouldn't have been there and it, or, or someone else would have said it, but maybe not as eloquently as, as you, (laughs) Hey, on that one, let me, um, I wanted to ask you something about that specific article. Mm-hmm. And it, it's about the number seven pork isn't as dangerous as you thought. Mm. Um, so this one um caused me to go do a little bit of digging. So mm-hmm. they link and they quote Jim Dixon about, um, you know, pork, which has a reputation of being a problem, is actually relatively safe. It's now that we cook the hell out of it, uh, which is nice. Um, Dixon says, our grandmothers told us we really need to cook pork well. I use this example a lot. Um, about how that we have almost no cases of um, uh, trichinella and trichinosis, um, and and you know Mother Jones picks picks up on this. Eighty four cases of trichinosis um, in the four years between two thousand eight and two thousand and twelve, ten of which were associated with commercial pork par- pork products. Interestingly, forty one of the cases out of the eighty four were associated with bear meat. We there's you know especially in um, uh, in, in the r- rural parts of the U.S. and, and game, we, we still do see trichinosis. I was really interested in these ten cases of per- commercial pork products, and it's admittedly a very, very small amount. But um, there's, you know, there's not been cases of uh, trichinosis in pork in the in the swine industry, right? Like we just don't have it. And that's where, where it would come from. We, um, there's a lot of preventative stuff that happens. So I, you know, I dove into, and I hadn't seen the, I don't, at least I don't remember seeing it cause it just came out, um, last two weeks ago in in MMWR and I, I didn't look at it, but it's, I mean, it's in there that, um, the, let me, let me pull this passage here on pork. Um, they were associated with, um, uh, commercial so there's you know 22 of them were um were uh, uh sorry 22 cases from pork 10 uh from commercial park 12 from uh, other things like wild boar one was linked with home raised swine five were unspecified but when we get into the commercial side of things um it came from um uh supermarkets butcher shops and restaurants and it it's ten it's ten cases. I mean it's such a small amount, but it makes me think about even when we we have all these preventative measures and we eradicated in the in the swine industry, there's still I mean um, you know microbes, nematodes, pathogens, whatever still have still can make their way into the food system every once in a while, and it's such a small amount, but it ends up with you know making a, a mark here um, on this MMWR. And I, you know, I look, I think about mechanisms on how this could happen. It, You know, it could be, um, some, some resistance. It could be, you know, something about, um, you know, post, um, uh, you know, vaccination problems. It could be, have something to do with process. I mean, there's lots of different things that could, could come from, but it did, when I went, when I read this paper, it did, um, it did surprise me, but the more I think about it, it's not all that surprising, I guess. Did, so, what what are your what are your thoughts on that? I mean, where do we get ten cases of of trichinosis in a from commercial settings when when the commercial settings have talked about how they don't have it at all anymore and haven't had it for forty years?
0: <laughs> well, I think you have to say, um, what is ten cases relative to? annual consumption okay right. and and it's a small number over a really big number okay and then you also have to ask um what does the industry mean when it when it says no cases and and no cases means no detectable cases it means below a certain number and i suspect that you know 10 cases over the entire food supply you know is going to be very hard to detect right <laughs> right um and and then kind of a related thing, which you know, I'm, I I pointed the reporter towards the um what I what I call the Bats report. Oh, <laughs> the not, Bats, not the Bats report, but that's how I because because his name is unique, and if I if I if I type in Bats uh, food safety risk, it, I always find it. Um, and he's the, he's the lead author, but it's really Glenn Morris and and Sandra Hoffman. Uh, the ten pathogen food combinations with the greatest burden on public health. And and again, and I pointed the reporter towards this. I said, "This is kind of what you're looking to do, but in a, maybe in a more scientific way." And I'm 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 sad to say I don't think that it got picked up in the, in the story at all. But you know, and and when I think about trichinella and pork, then I also think of this report, and then I think of toxoplasma and pork, and 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 the fact that toxoplasma and pork was the number two pair, but again, not because of a lot of. Illnesses, but because of a high uh, quality quality adjusted life year ranking, because of deaths, right? And it's the same thing with listeria. Listeria causes a very small number of cases, but a large number of deaths. And so, you know, how do you how do you weigh that? But to come back to your question about trichinella, I'd say it's not zero. It's it, I mean it's demonstrably not zero. Yeah. Um, but but the problem is is that it's really it's pretty easy to go from A million to 100,000, it's much less easy to go from 10 to 1, even though they're both an order of magnitude difference, right?
1: Absolutely. And um, and it's about not what's your detectable limit um, for it. I, it, right
0: it's, right what's your sample size i mean yeah. you're not you're not inspecting 100% of all meat for trichinella and yeah the incidents and again i i would i would caution you know if the industry were to ask me for advice about you know risk messaging which you know is not admittedly not my expert area of expertise i would say be really careful about saying no risk right
1: because there is one because there really, is a, really small. it's just it's really
0: really again it's comes, comes back to uh the weather forecaster talking about you know zero point zero 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 one right i yep. mean it's it's it 's all people i think people need to learn to think in orders of magnitude and I, I hate to keep coming back to this, but as a risk assessor and, a, and as a microbiologist it's very helpful to think in orders of magnitude. And, and I think humans have great difficulty thinking in orders of, at least, you know, modern humans have a great difficulty thinking in orders of magnitude, but that is, that is the most useful metric for thinking about risk.
1: Um, so I have two things and this is mm-hmm. always, we, we like our, we like our risk discussions, right? Cause that's mm-hmm. what we do. Mm-hmm. So let's compare pork and the focus. And this, these ten cases of of, of uh, trichinosis associated with pork consumption to mechanically tenderized beef. Mm-hmm. So I just I'm I'm pulling up. I don't know how um, realistic this is. I'm going to shoot you a text with a link here mm-hmm. uh, on consumption. So apparently, U.S. Um, in 2010, and this data is from U.S. Department of Agriculture. Um, 2010 uh, Americans ate on average 61 pounds of pork. Per person per year, and and, and uh, for beef, the consumption rate was eighty five point five pounds of por uh, of beef per person per year. So um, you, you know you, you're eating. We are eating if we're you know meat eaters and we eat things in the same ratio, which is not you know possible. But we're eating more beef than we are pork. The the change in the, the the trichinosis focus for um, uh, for uh, recommended endpoint temperatures um, switched. So it, the pork industry for for quite some time had kind of lobbied um, USDA and FDA, uh, from what I understand, saying, "Look, we we have we we have very 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 low levels of trichinosis. Um, in fact, close close to zero um and uh you recommend that people cook their pork to 165 degrees we would like you to recommend that they cook it to 145 because we'd like you to change the pathogen of concern from trichinella to salmonella and so that that happened and that happened not so long ago i mean it's really been in the last uh 6 or so years and i don't have that sort of at my fingertips but the relative rate of illness, you know, these ten illnesses associated with trichinosis in, t- in those past four years would be similar to what we've seen on mechanically tenderized beef in the U.S. Um, this is me trying to be a, mm-hmm. a, a mathematician, like. Mm-hmm. But I'm, it's okay, I'm writing down all the numbers. Okay, good. So I would say mechanically tenderized beef. Let me let me do this really quick. I think it's somewhere around sixty cases. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And. Um, and, and 60 cases, like six outbreaks, 60 cases uh, that we've seen in the U.S. Um, uh, label, so FSIS put together this rule in 2013 to label mechanically tenderized beefs, beef and said, um, uh, our, sorry, our illnesses for mechanically tenderized beef on estimates, these are not recorded, range between 587 and 4,000 illnesses every year. So there's underreporting, you know, for E. coli. Maybe there's not underreporting for trichinosis. I don't know. But labeling that beef could prevent an estimated 133 to 1,500 of those illnesses every year. Um, and and so so there's a policy focus to label that beef so people will handle it differently versus what we see in pork. But the magnitude of illnesses is probably close to the same. I guess and the consumption level of beef is higher and we know from US USDA says that it's about a third of the illnesses uh or about a third of of the mechanically tenderized beef is, or beef that is consumed is is mechanically tenderized. So it's I guess it's just uh, uh, to me an interesting shift. Those ten illnesses made me made me think more about that that it's not it's not all that different, but we're putting a whole bunch of focus into mechanically tenderized beef and not a lot of focus into, um, into trichinosis. And maybe, maybe I'm just – maybe I'm rambling here.
0: No, I know. I think you make you make some good points. I mean, I think the sixty-five pounds versus eighty-five pounds consumption, you know, we can call those numbers equivalent, right? I mean, the the beef number is a tiny bit higher. Um, Sixty cases is is ten times more, or sixty cases is six times more, six hundred percent greater than ten cases. But you know, then you have to ask, well, uh, what? what's the impact of trichinosis versus the impact of 0157H7. Um, you know, the um, the USDA numbers you quoted, you know, hundreds or thousands of illnesses per year from mechanically tenderized beef. I mean clearly the agency has done some calculations there. And I guess what I what I would say as you were talking about all of this is, you know, I'd like to see the math, right? Show me show me where you're getting these numbers from and show me what your assumptions are you know for how you're managing the risk and you know it's interesting we know we know for sure there is a food safety discontinuity between FDA and USDA because of the history and the regulatory structure but it it is very interesting to look at within an agency USDA FSIS and see that disconnect across commodities pork to beef right and the the the, the simple answer to why it is is that that we are not used to doing food safety using math right we right. are used to doing food safety by well, there's a crisis here, so we're going to make our best guesses as to what to do about it. And then we're going to move on to the next thing, and we're going to make a decision based on expert opinion about what to do about it. And 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 the, again, to ha- sort of harken back to an earlier part of the conversation, the good thing is that we're getting, I like to think, the food safety community is getting more numerate. We are getting to where people are... If not using math, at least respectful of arguments based on math, even if they don't completely understand it, which again, it's, that's incumbent upon the people using the math to explain it, you know, in a way that's clear and not hide behind equations. Um, so we're we're getting there but there's a lot of there there's still this discontinuity because we really even though people love to talk about risk-based decision making we really don't have a comprehensive risk-based decision making framework and and part of that again I'll put back on the the risk manager the regulatory risk managers because ultimately from my point of view, it starts with someone saying this is an acceptable level. Like what is the level of trichinosis that we are willing to tolerate in the country? What is the level of 0157H7 we're willing to tolerate in the country? And of course, people say, well, zero. Of course, it's zero. But again, remember, think about earlier in the conversation, there's no such thing as zero. So you can't pick zero. And we're we're struggling with this, right? I mean, I, I saw the almond board of California struggled with this when, um, when they were trying to figure out, well, what should we have, um, you know, for what should we have in terms of a, a log reduction um, for uh, for California almonds, right? So it's it's anyway, it's you know, it's it's not easy.
1: Yeah, it's not. It's um, it, it's not easy, and it's also we, we don't have a, we we have a limited amount of resources. Right. right. Like, like we, we have to make some of these decisions. Um, and, and with pork, I mean, Jim Dixon's quote is, has some plays into that risk management decision. I would, I would suggest it's, it's culturally for the last hundred years, we have overcooked pork, um, for, for mm. food safety mm-hmm. reasons. Mm-hmm. And culturally we, we tend to undercook beef and, and 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 that it, you know the cases the consumption that that has to also go into into our decision. I say and I say that with very generalities, you know, a lot of generalities mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. it. But those are some some assumptions. It's a um, that that have to go in. It's not always the the numbers absolutely matter. And, and like you you know you, you characterize in a lot of our discussions, there are other factors that go into it, and there are other assumptions and when we throw it all the on the table and see all the numbers, that's how we have to make decisions. but we have to always kind of recognize that it's not as as simple as the science of it and but we can't have the conversation without the science um, raw milk i mean we, we you and I have gone down this road a a, a bunch of times that's that's one where where lots of folks in in our uh, in our world, our colleagues, really point out, well, let's look at just the science, and and it's it's more nuanced than that mm-hmm. um, in the in the decision making. It's an interesting one. So as you were talking there, I went back and looked at um, MMWR reports for trichino- uh, trichinosis um, surveillance, two thousand and two to two thousand and seven. So the previous timeline, and then also the nineteen ninety seven to two thousand and one and the number of cases in each of those you know there there's still 5 to 12 cases um in those surveillance years uh, from US raised commercial pork so mm-hmm. it's so it's not ne- you know uh, i i guess what i was interested in and maybe this we'll see this in the next trend is the change for for temperature um recommendations happened in 2000 and you know 10 say mm mm-hmm. I wonder if we'll see more or the same amount.
0: Well, a, a, yeah, and I. It would be nice if we saw more, but I think the number. <laughs> I mean, except for nice, the check analysis, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no but I mean, effective. it would be. It would. It would show. It would. It would show a clear cause and effect. Let's. Right. Let, let me. Let me rephrase that. It would yes. show clear cause and effect if if there were more, but I think that the. Le- and the problem with this, and again, this comes down to what we've been talking about the whole podcast about uncertainty. It's like there's a number. But there's an uncertainty, I mean, and those are real cases, but there's an uncertainty associated with detection of those cases. And I just wonder, you know, how sensitive our system is. You know, like how much would you have to disturb the system before you'd really see that number move? Um, And I guess we'll find out, right? Right. Um, Yeah.
1: But there's an assumption there that that there was the masses out there, we're just waiting for USDA to give them the okay to cook pork to 145. Hey, hey. Exactly. <laughs> and
0: we know that people hang on every word of what these government recommendations are and then do exactly what they say in lockstep, right?
1: Absolutely. Every time And just just like, oh, well, they've made the announcement, but it's not effective today. So we have three more meals of pork chops at home that I have to overcook. But as soon as January 1st hits, <laughs> I can't right. wait to consume that, that 145 cooked pork. Which, of course, I cook to exactly 145. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I, with I my tip sensitive digital thermometer every time, every time. It's, it, I mean, there's all this, there's all this discussion and posturing around temperatures. And, and, and maybe the, maybe the practices, maybe it doesn't really matter, right? Like, maybe, maybe it's such a small movement on either side of it that, that we'll still see that, that really the reduction of, um, Trichinella in the incoming product Is where we've seen the largest Amount of uh, a, a Reduction and that because that that Continues to be focused on maybe it won't matter at all
0: Right because consumers basically are going to Do whatever they want no matter what the government Tells them right yeah <laughs> that they're going to cook It to, to whatever they whatever they want And yeah that's it right
1: and, and restaurants Are probably doing the same thing because It's one of those things where it's Just not it's really hard to um, To inspect For and they're catering to the palate of their customer. Um, it's like all the stuff that we're doing with undercooked, you know, burgers. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's not as it's not as simple as here's the temperature and here's what the law says. Exactly, and probably no one believes that anyway. So it's I'm being very trite with that statement. <laughs> they're like, of course, of course, that's the way. Oh, well,
0: I think I think that's a show, Ben. I think
1: that's a show. I think that was that was fun. That was a, a little different, uh, little different, a little different than what we've been doing. It was good.
0: Uh, I don't remember what we've been doing.
1: Well, we I think we usually just talk about the wire. <laughs> so, wire, dot com. I'm sure that's a podcast that exists. Yes. Um, Don, as always, great to uh, to spend time with you virtually. Um, and, uh, and I look forward I will see you next month. I'll see you in three weeks in uh, um, in, in Anaheim. So, uh. Oh, indeed. Where we're going to
0: get, uh, taken out maybe for a, a nice dinner by our friend, uh, Wendy. That's what it sounds like. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Should be good.
1: All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, Ben. Bye-bye. Bye. I always look afterwards if anybody's commented on, on our podcast on, on the on the line on on iTunes.
0: Uh huh. Oh, that's good to do. I I have completely forgotten that you can actually get podcasts through iTunes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, it exists. It's out there.
0: Huh. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I get. I I did when we were partway through recording. I did see that. I so saw I use Overcast now. Uh, for all my podcast needs, and uh, I did see that the the notification that uh, it was downloading in in Overcast, so that's good to know. Oh,
1: that's good. So it's a, so it's it exists.
0: It exists in in the world of podcast apps that I listen to.
1: Yeah, Well I'm that I. Look, use. I'll look. I, I'm sure it's the same. Uh, food safety. Oh, there's Rihanna. She's not on our podcast. Huh. What's going on, Don? We're like, all of a sudden, we're number three. We got. Really? FDA drug safety. So uh-huh. you searched food safety on the podcast. Yeah. Then you got Carl. Uh-huh. 'Cause he's he's got a staying alive pose, and then mm. us. And then after us is Co op Cast hmm. from Chicken so Thistle have, Farm. Have we, or maybe coop. We... It's coop. It's not Co op, it's Coop Cast. <laughs> Have we uh, so so I
0: I don't keep up with our rankings. Are we have we slipped or are we moving up?
1: I don't know. I don't know oh. what that. It doesn't really tell us. It just some at one point when I would search it, we would be number. We would be the first one on the left.
0: Oh, okay.
1: We are still uh, well, probably because we haven't posted an episode in a long
0: time. We should post
1: more episodes. Ben. Yeah, let's post. Let's do one today. Oh, you did one. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> We're good. We're good to go. And I'll and I'm going to do one Monday to keep the people keep the the people happy. Good, good, good. Uh, or Sunday maybe even. So, um, which one did you? You know what? Where is what? it? Is it even? It is not. Show the new one's not showing up in iTunes. Hmm. But I'll see if it's if it's showing up on my phone. It could be that my iTunes store is. I don't know. It's doing something. Um, I use do you use the, you don't use the podcast app?
0: No, I use Overcast. Overcast.
1: Let me see what it does when I when I do this. Yep, it's there in All the right. podcast app. Just didn't show up in my it, it's probably some cash problem. Mm-hmm. Like like, ca- like straight homie money cash. Like fi- like yeah, 50 wh-
0: cent. What, yeah, what it is is there's like there's so much money in Apple headquarters that the, the guy can't walk across the room because he's being impeded by $100 bills. Yeah. He has to press the button to make the podcast go and he just can't get through the room because that's where they're keeping all the money.
1: Oh, that guy. <laughs> that guy needs to – he really needs to, to figure it out. <laughs> um, I'm sure it will show up eventually. Yes. Um. Cool, cool, cool. That was fun. That was a good one. All right. Cool. So we got that. Let's look at uh let's so, look at some times to do this again. This Sounds is always good. I'm I'm so I, I I can't tell you and of course we're recording this and it'll be an after dark. I can't tell you how motivating it is to talk to you sometimes. <laughs> like well, in and a, you know, a nice I, way.
0: I, thanks. Well I, I love talking to you and I love making I love recording podcasts. It's just all the other work yeah it just it gets overwhelming and and again i have uh, apologized publicly on twitter i will apologize publicly now on the podcast that that you know the last episode was really slow to come out cuz i just didn't do it and i i just you know and it's just one of those we've all i'm sure and you i had those those times when you're just like i just can't make myself do this thing and and whatever and whatever that thing is whether it's writing a paper whether it's correcting a dissertation whether it's going to the doctor for a checkup whether it's starting an exercise program losing weight you know or posting podcasts it's just like it just was, it's just been stuck and i i feel bad but then of course as soon as i did it i felt like fantastic so anyway um and and i apologize i t- i cheated a little bit I picked a title without actually listening to the episode, you yeah. know because I just needed to get done, yeah, and like that was just one more thing that was going to just delay it, so I worked yeah, and it's a good enough title, so
1: yeah, it totally, and I'm sure we talked about that. I know we did because well, I know from, we since yeah, it's,
0: it's in the show notes it's in the
1: show notes, and it came from uh, Dean cliver yes uh, I remember I remember it um yeah, no, it's, I know it's i it's the last tedious part of fi- finishing it all off is is always the the hard thing for me as well i um. So I I posted on Facebook that uh, uh Danny and I earlier this week had our physicals mm. for immigration and Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so yeah, that that was all exciting. And um but before then we both of us went through all of our like important childhood documents that our parents had mm. passed to us mm-hmm. looking mm-hmm. for our immunization records, which <laughs> neither of us have. Mm-hmm. Um but I did stumble upon um a bunch of old report cards of mine from when I was like like kindergarten through high school. Like my parents yeah, my parents had kept them all. And then at some point when we, you know, when you when you leave home, they're like, here, this is all your crap. (laughs) Here's your crap. Yeah. Um, you know, we kept this. It was really interesting. And now you get to keep it. So I did. And as I like I thought maybe tucked in there would be this magical immunization record. It wasn't. Um Hmm. but I did read some of the stuff and there's one thing that came out in in 3rd grade which i still struggle with now maybe everybody struggles with it but it was ben does not uh he he tends to ignore tasks that he doesn't want to do <laughs> oh you should you should post that on facebook i will That's i will great i love it and it's true i i still do it there's i mean in, in my in my omnifocus list it's not just <laughs> sequential it's not just what's dependent it's like well what do i want to do because i'm mm-hmm. going to do whatever i want and then those things that i don't want to do will are the ones that that I missed deadlines for. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean the posting the recording the podcast is, is one of the things that, that I want to do. Posting the podcast is one of the things that I want to do, but the, Editing of the audio file and, and just massaging those notes is, is not the most exciting. Uh, so I totally understand.
0: Well, and and here's the thing: once I got started doing it, it was fine. It's totally fine. It was just it's just you just put these things in, you know. Anyway, I I don't know. If only if only there was a podcast I could listen to to help me be more productive or a system I could follow to help me get things done. You know.
1: Right, right. If there's only if there was only a podcast that, that you could listen to, and at the end of it, the show notes were done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that we that one doesn't exist we actually probably need that one yeah um cool okay so let's look at uh at when we might want to do this again sure um all right so two weeks from today is the 12th i i could do the 12th in the morning
0: i i am holding uh the morning for some meetings but okay. i'm you know i've been i've been pulling stuff off the the hold the whole calendar for that, um, because of yeah, because of like uh, whatever. So yeah, so we'll, uh, let's uh, let's schedule it.
1: We'll, and let's we'll hold it for this. And if you yes. run into trouble, then we'll exactly yeah, well, that's no problem. FST seventy seven, I think it will be. Cool. Wow.
0: So uh, at ten o'clock again?
1: Yeah, ten o'clock is perfect. It's like it means so my my um Thursdays. Uh, I, uh, usually depending on what time I play hockey the night before I usually, um, get dane to take the boys to school and I get to sleep in nice and, and I'll be up clearly by 10 cause I'm not a, like that much of a slacker, but Thursdays are perfect. I'll play, play hockey the night before. And then we, then we do this and it's, and it's fun. Um, cool. Um, so we got that, we got the show notes done. I'm going to see you. So tell me about your. When, when do you guys actually fly in um, to Anaheim? Is it the day of the meeting? Yes. Okay. So I'm in the day before, so I will amuse myself potentially with a hockey game somewhere.
0: And, and well, and then remember, there's your, your, uh, uh, you're getting taken out to dinner I, by our host. I know, I know. I'm going to do
1: that okay. too. but
0: Okay. Um, and, then, uh, and then I'm – but I'll be there the night of the meeting. Me too. We'll, but, oh, so two nights for you.
1: Yeah, two nights for me. I couldn't make the – um, couldn't make it all work. Like hmm. otherwise. And, yeah. Yeah. It, it was, um, the only way that I could get home, which I, I have not done since I've been, you know, since I've been traveling internationally is, is to, re- to fly home red eye on the mm-hmm. night of the oh, 23rd. And I yeah. just, I don't, I don't it, it makes the 24th really, really bad Yeah, for me. So, uh,
0: um, no, I, I'm t- I, I've just decided I'm, I'm, I'm too old to fly red eyes anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And if somebody wants me somewhere, they're going to have to, pick yeah. up the slack or, or I'll just pick it up myself. Cause it's just not worth, it's just right. not worth my, my sanity and comfort and all that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then for me to get, I couldn't get there in time for the meeting
0: mm-hmm. um, yep. Yep.
1: coming from, from the East coast. So I've got to go in on the Sunday and I got, I was telling Linda last week that it's, I, it's kind of nice. There's It's two direct flights to LAX, like it's RDU mm. to LAX and then yep. LAX to RDU. So that's perfect. Nice and easy. I don't have to worry about other things. We had a really good time with Linda. Uh, I mean, I had a really good time.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it sounds like you guys had fun, and it was cool for her to be back.
1: I I, I always yeah. forget
0: that she has a history in North Carolina. You know, with her PhD there and all of that, and uh, yeah, it's, and she, it's, yeah. It's, uh,
1: she hadn't been here in twenty years.
0: That's amazing. I, you know, I I was a I was not I had been away from Athens and UGA for. A long time too, and then got, you know got involved with his collaboration with Joe Frank to go back, and it was uh, it was it was good to be back. It's good to, good to see the you know place where you went to school and and see how it's changed and how it's the same. And then it, it's I, there are very much aspects about Southern culture that I like, and uh, you know there's some that I don't obviously, but. <laughs> But uh, you know, but 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 there's there's things to like, and you guys posted lots of you posted. I think she posted pictures of hush puppies. She and did. That's just one of my favorite southern foods.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, you should. You should we should get you down here at some point. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna make uh, well, that and happen.
0: I I'm, and I and I have a a, a thing in my OmniFocus that I'm ignoring to go down to visit um, folks at RTI uh, oh. on neurocore risk modeling. You know, norovirus risk modeling stuff. So
1: well, when you do I that you can come yeah.
0: to here yeah we'll just yeah we'll just make it into a an extravagant extravaganza yeah a well, north I'll, carolina extravaganza i so. will take you yeah.
1: you i will i promise you no um no gluten <laughs> um and uh lots of barbecue excellent <laughs> yeah cool all right anything uh, anything else from from you, you got any i'm good after I'm good. darky stuff all right no, no
0: i i gotta i got a uh at noon today um i can buy tickets to uh mark knopfler and the band playing at count count basie theater which is uh one day in advance of normal people because we're uh, we're members at count basie theater so i'm i'm chomping at the bit to do that That's and sweet. then while we were while we were chatting uh i see that my dean called and left a message and so he rarely calls me, so now I'm anxious about that.
1: Well, I hope, I hope <laughs> you're I'm not, not fired. Yeah. Well, I
0: I'm know I'm, no, I'm not fired. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not tenure, but I, I, I don't know. Hopefully it's, a, hopefully
1: it's a good thing. Yeah, hopefully. Congratulations on whatever he's calling you about. <laughs> Let's think positively. <laughs> okay, right, cool. It. Think positive. Uh, I will uh, – I'll talk to you later.
0: All right. Take care, Ben.
1: Bye-bye.
0: Bye.